I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and we'll go into detail about the topics we discuss, so if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. In this go-around, caped crusaders on the small screen, fan feedback, a rash of reviews, Wes Moldash from You Will Have That, a mighty moody Mary Marvel, asinine alliteration, and is Brian a Skrull? We'll be asking that musical question plus, nerds! So face front, faithful spoilerites as the superior spoiler age is upon us, etcetera. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was half All the right. show right Rod- there. Rodrigo, next week it's your duty to come up with the, with the intro. <laughs> Thank you, man. You gave me a job and I fulfilled that. You purpose. did quite well, man. Speaking of Thanks. Brian and, a skull and Scrolls, uh, that guy is dropping out of the podcast for the time being. He claims, now get this, he claims he's too busy. He Congratulations, after last week's episode, the guy, well, his wife, had a baby, a brand new baby, came about a week early, earlier than expected. Uh, for now, we're going to keep his name secret, but we're just going to call him Baby Chase Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, doing good, came in a good size, uh, everybody's doing well, mom, dad, the other kids are doing well, and, and Baby Chase Manhattan, welcome to the world, although I noticed his eyes are a tad green. Yeah. So we have, we have this theory that uh, sometime after the first podcast, Brian was replaced with a scroll. And that's why he was feigning ignorance about what scrolls are and all yeah, that and, stuff. Yeah, and just so. kind of like not understanding everything about comics. I think it happened the episode where he started calling in because, mm. you know, he had no, no reason to show up. I don't think his scroll form, his adaptability or whatever, his shape-shiftingness had uh, fully taken hold yet. So we'll see and what think- happens in three months. Mm-hmm. I gave him a three-month <laughs> deadline to get his, uh, his little uh, public access station that he's working on. He's starting one up in a new city. He's got that and a new kid. I gave him three months to get everything under control, and then we'll have him back. He may come back sooner if we can pressure him. Yeah. Uh, or he may Which just drop will, in. Cause yeah, we will. We're jerks. And because air, he gets air, pushed air over that easily. Yeah. <laughs> you won't be cool if you don't do it, so, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, spoiler <laughs> listeners, you have to go back and figure out where he left. We left little clues about where Brian is. Actually, we, we didn't do that. That's, we've we've yeah. been planning this since 2004, building with every single podcast. <laughs> Yep. We'll have to go back and read every hero history and look for the little clues. Yeah, yep. it's like every fourth letter of every hero history that we've written. Right. Take those and you'll need string to together. Make sure you click every single ad on every page of the of the cat. <laughs> because secret secret hidden messages are hidden there as well. Top stories, guys. What uh, Matthew? What's your big top story for the week? Um, Speed Racer. Oh, I think is my, my big God. Why? When Did I you... was, I, I'm okay. Picture it. I'm four or five, maybe six years old. I don't know. Somewhere in those those pre you know school years, and every single day you would come home, you'd get to watch Underdog, you get to watch Speed Racer, and then you'd get to watch Bugs Bunny and Gilligan's Island and Gilligan's Island. And of course, every once in a while you'd get like the Brady Bunch. But to me, Speed Racer is one of my childhood, you know, one of my my childhood things. So well, looking you- forward to this pre- Speed Racer movie, I'm kind of looking at it and going, well, this this could be cool. Well, and that's my problem. The first trailers that I saw, I was like, oh, this could actually be really cool in a in a cheesy way. And then they released this music video this week. Uh, I think it was MTV or MySpace TV, one of those two, had it. And I watched it, and some people were saying, oh, it's because it's a rap video. That's why you don't like it. But after watching this whole thing, I was just like, really? That's that's it? I, 
I have a feeling like we've seen everything in this little three-minute piece, and and now I'm not so interested in seeing the movie. Well, I I still think that it it has a potential to be really great. It's just going to be so over the top. It may well redefine what over the top means, and if it if it comes across the way that they clearly want it to come across. Well, it does have a monkey in it, so well, monkey. I, I'm I'm pretty sure I, I've seen a couple shots of um. Oh, what's his name? The the dad. Fred, oh, uh, Fred Richard, Flintstone. Oh, Fred Flintstone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we, we know I, think, I think about. at some point he like picks up a guy and, <laughs> and he's twirling it above his head, head and yeah. stuff like that. It's just going to be totally ridiculous. I do have the same concern, though. By watching that three-minute music video, did I just watch every last second of racing that's, that's going to be in that I just movie? thought that too much of the movie was revealed. Now, obviously, we don't know if he knows that Racer X is his real brother or if... Uh, or uh, you know what international spy thing is going on? So it still could be pretty good. Plus, it's got uh, Christina Ricci in it. So yeah, she's you got to love Christina Ricci. One of the things that I you know I try to keep in mind is one of my favorite episodes, and the episode in, that sticks in my head is the race against the mammoth car. Now, the mammoth car is basically the size of a train, and it turns out at the end it's made out of gold, which it, so it's got to weigh like seventy five tons. Mm. But the suspension of disbelief. In looking at it and saying, 75 tons of gold are going to outrace this little sports car. Yeah. It's not as though Speed Racer is a bastion of realistic storytelling to begin with. You well, know? yeah. True. So I think maybe if people go into it with that, they, they'll probably get a kick out of it. That's coming up in a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. And so, so uh, yeah. I'll, I'll probably still check it out. Rodrigo, what's top story on your list this week? Um, there's a Dark Knight posters are coming out. Oh, man. All over the place. And- what did you think of those, Matthew? I put one of them up on the site. There were five more that came out in the last couple of days. The international poster, one with Batman shooting out of the, uh, uh, you know, from above on his bat cycle. Uh, another one where um, uh, Heath Ledger, the Joker, is holding his card across his face. And another one where Batman's holding his batarang and, and Harvey Dent holding his I Believe in Harvey Dent. You kind of put them all three together and you get the Dark Knight Returns poster from that and some other cool things. But... Uh, boy, I, uh, ah, this movie's coming up soon, and I cannot wait to see it. It's um, it's funny. It's kind of like uh, you know that uh, article from the Onion about them uh, making Iron, oh, the, the a movie out of the Iron Man trailer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really am thinking like, no, let's just keep like all this viral stuff, and let's not actually see the movie because by now, could it really be as good as all this crazy advertising they've been doing for it? Do you think viral marketing and all these advertising and promos does that ruin the? I mean, obviously, our site's major spoiler, so we put that stuff up anyway. But does that ruin right. your your enjoyment of the movie? That Not, actually, to right. me, it increases it. I mean, one of my favorite movie promotional pushes was uh, a few years ago with the Blair Witch Project, where most of it was either viral marketing or felt like viral marketing, where they yeah. were like, "Oh, yeah, here here's this urban legend that really happened," with the air quotes. And then when you go and see the movie, when I saw the movie, I wasn't sure whether any of it was real or not, but it kind of heightened my enjoyment of the film. So Yeah, I think the Sci-Fi Channel ran a, some kind of special of, is the Blair exactly. Witch, and they made this fake documentary about mm. this fake movie. and Yeah, so that was kind of good, because that did get me excited about it. But you're right, now that I've seen the secret trailer that comes out this Sunday, this weekend, mm. um, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, now I know what the plot of the movie is. I've been following what's been going on with Why So Serious and I Believe in Harvey Dent. Uh, dot com, both of those websites. I've been been getting phone calls from Harvey Dent himself, and I've been getting emails from Jim Gordon. So you know, some things are going on that uh, I, I still get so excited about that movie. But speaking of movies, two other movie items that I think people are going to get a kick out of. 
this movie Hancock with uh, uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air in it. <laughs> we don't use anybody's real names anymore. <laughs> That's right. Uh, We're this, major spoilers. We are the Tom Welling people. This this movie, you know, it's playing up as a comedy, but you know what? I think this is going to be the sleeper hit of the year here's this mm. this alien that's crashed to earth he's the only one of his kind he's essentially a black superman uh and he was not raised by you know this great midwestern company eric uh family or company depending on you know so he's this boosting lazy <laughs> bum and just does whatever the heck he wants and and i think this is going to be a pretty cool movie to check out matthew can i just say that the the real black superman is john shaft can you dig it <laughs> Shut your but mouth. Having having seen the Hancock trailers, I'm really impressed with what they're doing. It's kind of one of the things that I think was a plus and a minus with the the X Men series of movies was that they tried to put it on a realistic scale. Mm-hmm. And the way this movie feels, it feels more like what a real person would say and do. At least from the trailers I've seen, if you had superpowers. I mean, yeah. if I if I had superpowers, the first thing that I would do is go in and tell some people at my office a few things that they may need to hear, uh-huh. and then you know walk through a wall and fly away. So, <laughs> I, this is I think that's going to be a funny movie. Rodrigo, your thoughts? Um, I agree. I it it looks good. Um, there was a comic book that came out a while back called Major Bummer, that uh, <laughs> yeah, um, that <clears throat> kind of looked at that stuff, and I didn't follow it too closely, but it's kind of like, you know, what if, like, a regular guy got superpowers and, like, really major superpowers? Yeah. I mean, Hancock's basically Superman. Yeah. Um, and I think it's going to be great. There has been some buzz about, like, the racial issues of it. It's like, oh, well, you got a black superhero. He's got to be a drunk or whatever. I really do not I don't think buy that it's about well. that. I, I think it, a lot of people on YouTube are just uh, itching at the trigger to start a fight. I, yeah, I don't buy into that. I just see it as a as a funny movie, and you know, if if I were to crash on another planet and I had all these powers and nothing could hurt me and I didn't have to get a job, I might be sleeping out on the street myself and just swigging a, away from the bottle. There's that great scene where he's flying drunk mm-hmm. at the beginning of that trailer. I I just want to see this movie. Um, Guillermo, I don't know how to say this guy's name. Guillermo, Guillermo del, del Toro, Toro. directing not is, one is Spanish for uh, Doctor of the Bull. I believe. All right, is that true? No. Uh, well, he, his his name his name is William of the Bull. Oh, okay. Oh, my bad. All right. He's not <laughs> directing one, but he's directing two Hobbit movies. And they're not going to be split up. I thought that okay, if you're going to direct a Hobbit movie, the the book is fairly short. I could see a spot where you split it up, especially when you go into uh Tolkien's um uh annotated Hobbit where he talks mm. about where Gandalf went and all of that. I thought there could be a good splitting point between the time they leave the Misty Mountains and then uh, and then arrive in Lake Town and everything that happens after Lake Town. Uh, but no, he's gonna the Hobbit's gonna be one movie, and then he's got the Hobbit Two, Electric, Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. Yeah, yeah. and I, and apparently that one's gonna take place sometime between the sixty years of the Hobbit and Fellowship of the Rings. Huh. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I haven't read any of them. I really don't don't read any books without pictures in them. <laughs> um, so it's it's so it's the same to me. But I gotta wonder what you know, diehard Tolkien fans are gonna say to a, a bunch of text that does not come from 
I think that though, you know, Tolkien did a lot of annotations and he did a lot of follow-up stuff and mm-hmm. and the Silmarillion. What Simma what is it? What is that S- book? Salmarillion. Salmarillion. Salmanillion. I think Salmarillion right. was the guy who was in East of Eden with James Dean, wasn't he? Anyway, whatever it is. I'm terrible <laughs> with names tonight. Anyway, you know, that was a story that was written by Bilbo Baggins during that 60-year period, mm. talking about what led up to The Hobbit. And that's what I thought maybe they'd do. But they're going to do something different. And, and so it's going to be interesting. What do you think of uh, Del Toro taking over directing over the other guy, Peter Jackson? Peter Jackson. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be a good test to see if Guillermo Del Toro cannot abandon the style that he's kind of uh, mm-hmm. working on, mm-hmm. because I think he is going to have to move to kind of make a hybrid between his style and Peter Jackson's style, because Jackson has such an iconic thing going with yeah. Lord of the Rings. Like, the colors are different. There's, like, all those, like, very bright greens mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things like that, and Del Toro is so muted in a lot of the stuff he does. So we'll we'll have to see where he takes it. I'm really interested in his character designs to see... If he can make those goblins, mm. you know, scary, scary ass goblins like from the Rankin Bass, uh, the Hobbit uh, cartoon. Ooh, those were scary. A <laughs> uh, couple plugs. Don't forget this weekend, depending on when you're listening to it, this would be uh, May 3rd, 2008. Free comic book day. You can go to your comic book shop, go to your bookstore that carries comics, and they'll have a whole slew of comics uh, that uh, that you can get for free. Some of them you may have to do an incentive, like buy $5 and get one free. What's it going to be there at the uh, at the comic store where you work at, Matthew? Gatekeeper Hobbies, hunt and engage Topeka, Kansas. I believe we're going to be kind of going whole hog again this year. We still have a few things left over. I believe last year we were selling copies of X-Men number one by Jim Lee for a buck, as well as having the uh, the free comic stuff. We always do have our 50-cent bin as well. Three for a buck for all sorts of things in there. Cool. So and- go and check that out. If you want to see all the list, head over to Majorspoilers.com. I've got the uh, complete list. Or you can go to free comic freecomicbookday.com and uh, and uh, see it all over there too. It's going to be a good weekend and if you do go to any of the, these events take some pictures and send them to us. We'll post them up on the website. Uh, another plug to put in there, don't forget head over to the Major Spoilers Forum. We want you to vote. A couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, we talked about our favorite trade paperbacks that you should be reading. We've compiled those into a big 30 trade list and we want you to vote on your favorite from that list so we can compile the definitive trade paperbacks from number one to number 30 Mm. for everyone who comes over to the site should be good times get over there and vote people do it uh nerdtacular is coming up we talked about batman the dark knight uh coming up that's uh taking place in july in in, uh, utah can find out more information about that at nerdtacular.com and finally the last plug before we get into a good listener question here don't forget the Hero Drive. This is the last episode that we have in uh, for people to listen to, download, subscribe, whatever, so we can uh, give some money to the Hero Initiative. Next week, we'll unveil how much money we raised, and we might even try to get somebody on from the Hero Initiative to talk about that project. So only one week left. Tell everybody, between now and next week, download the show, download the show, download the show. We had a listener question. Uh, somebody commented on one of the message boards, and I didn't know the answer, and I figured Matthew probably did since he's our resident uh, lexicon of all things superhero. Brad wrote in and said, I've only listened to the past four shows or so. I'm still new to your podcast. I do like it quite a bit, so I will listen to the other ones as well. But I have a question. Can Green Lantern travel in time with his powers? 
because I had my nephews over for a sleepover this weekend, and on Super Friends, he used his ring to travel back in time to stop the Legion of Doom, so I am curious. That's from Brad. Matthew, do you have an answer to that? Honestly, they may have found a way to stump the geek. One of the things that I will have to admit is my Hal Jordan knowledge is sorely limited, and it is no. mostly me flashing back. But here's what I do know. <clears throat> Are you ready? Yes. I do know that on the Super Friends, he did, in fact, travel back in time. And in the Silver Age, way back in the day, they did have a series of stories where Hal Jordan went forward in time to the 57th century and spent time under a fictitious identity of Paul Manning, the head of, like, the Earth Defense Authority. Oh, cool. One of the things about the, the Green Lantern rings, you know, historically, back in the day, uphill both ways... Um, was that the only real limitation of the ring was in the willpower of the wearer and in the creativity of the writer. So mm. yeah. I can't think of any specific times where I know he used the ring to travel forward in time, but it's also not one of the things that they've you know stated that the ring absolutely can't do. You know, theoretically, they said you can't kill anyone with it. But, you know, those, uh, those books of Oa have been rewritten. Exactly, and it, it always protects its user to the best of its own abilities, and basically it it's based on your willpower. So if you really, really wanted to travel in time, I don't know of anything that says that you can't. So cool. we're going to say tentatively, sure. Okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, Matthew, thanks. If you guys have a question or a comment about the show, don't forget you can write to us at podcast at majorspoilers.com. Let's get into our big uh, review section. We've got our new review. Uh, from an, an issue that comes out this week, we've got an old review, and then we've got some thoughts on Countdown. Rodrigo, kick us off. All right. I'm reviewing uh, X-Men 210. Brand um, new this week. Yeah. It's coming coming out. <clears throat> um, it's uh, kind of the conclusion of an arc. Basically, um, Professor X at some point gets shot in the head. And no! Exodus, if you guys are familiar with the X-Men, um, if you're not, then I'm not going to sit here and explain who <laughs> Exodus is. He's a big bad guy. He's telekinetic. Wait. He was uh, Magneto's lieutenant for a while. Is is he the one from the future with the undefinable psychic giant powers? I think you might be thinking of Strife. I think okay. that's, that's the one from the future. Is he the one that goes into your nightmare? Is he the king of the nightmare world? No, that's the Shadow King. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so anyway, go on. Right. Exodus. Um so Exodus uh, reconstructs Professor Xavier sort of in the last issue and towards this issue. And um, then he kind of has this mental battle with him. And in the end, he tells them that he wants him to lead the Acolytes, the Acolytes being Magneto's former posse. After House of M, Magneto loses his powers. There's some discussion in the previous issue and this issue as to what the Acolytes should do with him. Should they still listen to him, even though he's like a baseline, which is, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. human. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff like that. Um, the issue itself is good. You know, the mental battle. You get a who's who of everyone that uh, Charles Xavier has ever ever failed. Um, basically, every X-Men that's ever died shows up in his mind as Exodus is kind of attacking him. Um, and in the end, you know, you kind of it's kind of revealed that uh, Xavier isn't the same person now that his mind's been reconstructed and things like that. And the, the issue itself is good, but it brings up a problem that keeps coming up, which is that kind of tag teaming on and off, 
writers either love Charles Xavier, or you know they think he's anonymous with the X Men, yeah. or they think the X Men have outgrown Xavier. Let's get rid of him. So they kill him. They bring him back. They take away his powers. They bring him back. They give him the ability to walk. They take it away. So right now we have psychic walking Xavier. But <laughs> two issues from now, he might be dead again, or he might lose his powers or his ability to walk. You know, if I could live in any comic universe, I think I'd live in the Marvel universe because that's the only place I know where you can take a bullet to the head mm. and three, four, five issues later, you're up walking around talking, no yep. problem whatsoever. Yep. It was... My God. I, you know, I'll go off on this in a moment, but if you're going to kill a character, go the Barry Allen style and keep him dead. I think, and I think that's it. I think the the editor in chief, John, John, Joe, Joe, Cassetta, Joe, Cassetta, Joe Cassetta. Josh, Josh, Josh Quesadilla, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not appropriate. Um, you know, he needs to say, "Okay, don't kill Xavier," or "Okay, Xavier stays dead." And here's here's you know he's so important. He's an Illuminati. He's doing this. He's doing that. Right. Um, they need to keep a hand on that because if they don't, every new writer that comes in is going to do something weird with him, and it wrecks the books. I, I think they should the take continuity. the X-Men and, and turn it into Savage Dragon where Xavier dies every issue. Nice. Isn't that what Savage Dragon does? He dies every issue, Matthew? I haven't the slightest idea. All right. Um, oh, my God, <laughs> I heard it's your Professor X. You <laughs> bastards. You bastards. <laughs> Here's the thing that I'm wondering, though. You, you brought up the Illuminati. Do you think that rebuilding his mind and, you know, having him not be the same character is a way to get away from the, pardon the French, the ass clown version, the manipulative Professor X that we've seen for the last five or six years, uh, who's it, willing to use all of his students? It seems to me that... They do not think that far ahead of it. I don't think I, I don't I don't even know if this is like, oh well, he's been kind of crappy, so we're gonna change him around. I think it is just this next guy who's writing the book now. And I don't know, I haven't gone back. Maybe it's maybe it is all the same writer who just well, keeps Well, This is killing the whole basis for X Men disassembled, which they're still playing. Yeah. And and a lot of that stuff that I've seen looks real good, but you know, there's sort of that fundamental problem that people just don't know what to do with Charles Xavier. Yeah. So Brad, who was complaining uh, earlier in in the week about us uh, talking too much about Green Lantern and the X Men, well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, now for some independent comic news. Oh, I, I forgot, Rodrigo. What's your rating on this? Um, I'll give it. I'll give it two and a half stars. Again, like the book is good, the art is fine, but that whole thing with Xavier, it just, you know, it, it keeps it crippling the X Men mm -hmm. as a book. Now for an indie title, Matthew. Hi there. My name's Matthew. Um, what I'm looking at this week is uh, Wild Cards, The Hard Call, issue one. I believe it's a six issue series from D Dabble, Dabble, Dabble Brothers. Dabble Brothers. One uh, of those two. One of those guys. One's Dabble, one's Dable, and then they <laughs> slam their fists together, and one turns into an ice dragon. <laughs> and the other one takes the form of, uh, of a bucket of exactly. water. The, the backstory of Wild Cards, this actually is not their first run in comics, but the Wild Cards started as a series of shared universe novels, where essentially a bunch of writers who used to get together and play a role-playing game started writing the backstories of their characters and turned their characters in the game into a series of books. And one of the things you'll find in the books is that they actually go real time. So wow, the cool. first story took place in 1946. As the books go on, the characters have aged in real time. Ah, that's cool. Which actually makes it difficult. There are a couple or three immortal characters, but a lot of the ones that we may know from the last book series are actually you know no longer in the book. But this story starts out in the year 2008, 
in Jokertown. Basically, in 1946, an alien virus exploded over New York. 90% of the people died. 10% of the people got powers, and about 1% of that 10%, if I'm not right, became superheroes, what they call aces. The rest of them became jokers. They're usually horribly misshapen. Some of them have, you know, insect heads on human bodies or human heads on insect bodies or maybe an insect body with a head that's not even human. Who knows? <laughs> but this particular story starts <laughs> off in Joker Town and deals with my favorite character of the series, a man named Croyd Crenson, the sleeper. The sleeper has the best power ever. He goes to sleep and he wakes up with a whole new body and a whole new set of powers. He's been doing this for 50 years. And when he wakes up, he doesn't want to go back to sleep because he's afraid he's going to die the next time he comes out. So as he's awake, he takes more and more amphetamines and becomes more and more nuts. So depending on when you catch the sleeper, he may be a superhero. He may be a complete psycho hopped up on the goofball. Ah. Mm. So we get a little bit of Croyd at the beginning, and any Croyd is good Croyd. But I have to say right now, I, the cover of this issue is absolutely hideous. I'm so sorry for mm. whoever wrote this. It is ugly it is beyond ugly i mean ah, there's like these deep glow-in-the-dark greens and it's just horrible but the art inside is similar but a little more i don't want to say acceptable because that implies that my opinion is the only opinion but it's a little more workable Under control. thank you that's a good way <laughs> to put it but we get we get about halfway through the book we've had our little moment with croyd i love croyd and then we get to the story of a new character in the midwest and a new wild card outbreak that takes place at a science fair. And we get the, the wonderful scene of a person vomiting up their own spine on panel. Oh, awesome. And we get to go through the horrifying moment. The, the first book started with the explosion over New York in 1946, and this really kind of echoes that with horrible mutations. And the, the person that I presume to be the main character, his little brother, just literally disintegrates in his arms. It's a just a terrifying scene. So these the super only let me ask, so these superpowers sure. are like a, a disease? Is this some kind of virus, or is this... It's an alien virus designed to create, to tailor superpowers in humans. Ah, okay. And uh, unfortunately, it tends to tag into the, uh, the unconscious of the mind and makes more monsters than it does this actual sounds, This sounds a lot like that uh, title that Brian reviewed a couple of weeks, or I should say Scroll Brian reviewed <laughs> a couple episodes ago where he was talking about... Uh, some bomb or something that went off in, in Chicago and, and turned everyone into, into either superheroes or aliens or bad people or whatever. It sounds very similar, actually. I'm not sure if I'm familiar with that title right offhand, but I can tell you that this particular book, it's well-written. I, I like the transitions. I like the panels. The art does a disservice because the art is really stylized, very chunky and kind of, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I would call it scratchy but it looks like it was inked by you know frank miller with a sledgehammer mm. so the art tends to take a little bit away from the drama of the book mm -hmm. and and the big cliffhanger at the end of course is that the the teenager the main character our perceived protagonist gets superpowers and becomes an ace a one in a thousand chance but now of course his life is essentially over and everyone that he loves is dead so it's kind of an upbeat story you know? <laughs> Overall, I I would say story-wise, it's definitely a three out of five star book. But my distaste for the art kind of knocks it back a lot. Really? And it, again, it's not it's not bad art. It's just uh, the the phrase that I use, and I'm sure it's offensive to the fans of it. It reminds me of some of the '90s Image comics, where it feels like the art is done 
for the stylization of itself, mm-hmm. whether it's appropriate to the story or not. So I, I have the same problem with the Anita Blake uh, book that yeah. Devil Brothers put together for yeah. Marvel. Wonderful writing, but the art just wasn't my cup of tea and it turned me off. And I don't think I'm the target audience for it. So I would say, honestly, I can I can go an easy 1.5 on the whole package. Really? That, that low? Yeah. That's averaging Even you out. you liked it? I would so say you hated three, the art? You hated the art that much, like you gave it a zero on the art. Not exactly. I mean, if I gave it a zero, I would have pulled it back. I would say the story is easily a three, and it's that first issue where there's a lot that they have to roll out and a lot of backstory that has to be put in here, which is why we have the appearance of Croyd, to give us that quick backstory of what happened over the previous 60 years. I see. But when I look at it from the perspective of, is it an effective story? Did the art propel me along or drag me back i found myself rereading pages and rereading scenes to go is is that what happened yeah how did you know how did we get from here to here how did this work and in some scenes and there i mean there's there's a sequence here that's supposed to be really meaningful and it it is horrible when the kid the young brother dies but there's no background at all so you have the close-up the grotesque dead body in his arms but doesn't necessarily look like a real human body. It's so stylized that the horror, the story, mm. is actually yeah, muted lo- by the loses art. Some of the stuff, yeah, yeah. It looks, it looks kind of like just you know an inflatable kid that fell apart. So, well, one point five overall. Okay. Well, let's talk about something that I also am in, rather disappointed in, and you know I'm so far behind on reading. I'm about two weeks behind. I just finished reading Robin one seventy three, which I really liked, uh, but I wanted to kind of talk about Countdown from DC. And I really have to say that, thank God it's over. <laughs> I was really, I ended up, after 52 weeks of shelling out three bucks, which is how much money, Matthew? 100 and, let's see, let me carry 63, the 63, something like that. $165, give or take. Yeah. Well, Yikes. see, the thing is, I don't mind that they, they had my money, because I did read every single issue, and I did follow it you know, as closely as I possibly could. And unfortunately I just wasn't excited about it as I was with 52. Now the thing that they kept saying over and over again about countdown was that it's, it's the spine of the DC universe. Yes. It's not a standalone story. These titles are going to spill off into other DC works that you can read and, and, you know, expand upon the story. Well, you know, I could probably count and, and you may know this Matthew better than I do, but there were maybe only a dozen actual regular titles that countdown stories appeared in. I mean, there was an issue of the Atom where something was referenced, a slight right. reference in Green Lantern. Uh, there was a Catwoman uh, moment. There was a Superman moment with Jimmy Olsen. Uh, nothing in Batman titles proper that I remember. Um, yeah. Lightning Saga was already over, so it doesn't get even get included in, in parts of Countdown. But everything else that we written well there was some supergirl and, and a couple wonder womans but right. everything else that spun out a countdown was not part of probably your regular pull list instead everything came from these additional series like uh amazon's attack gotham underground even the the green arrow black canary wedding specials yeah were these other things that you ended up having to buy if you wanted it. in death of the new gods that story was such a mess both inside countdown and as a standalone uh, series that it didn't even get portrayed right either way. The only, you know, so I'm I'm really disappointed that not only did we spend the 163 whatever yeah. on on these regular countdown titles, but if we really wanted a full story, we had to go out and buy these other standalone miniseries that you know, ultimately I look at this and I 
have to say everything's been returned to the status quo. There's a whole lot of who cares that went on. I mean, here's Mary, poor Mary Marvel. She goes from having no powers to getting Black Adam's powers, which essentially I guess you could say is evil, but I think there's a good argument for saying that Teth Adam is actually good in his mind where Mm -hmm. he's not actually evil, uh, to going back and redeeming herself only at the end to turn back into uh, Black Mary Marvel and that, you know, that final panel with her might as well have been lifted from uh, uh, Frank Miller's uh, Batman and Robin all-star line because she's essentially saying, I'm Mary goddamn Marvel, you know, this kind (laughs) of thing. Uh, I just, it was not this earth-shattering yeah. You know, DC Universe is going to change for everything that I was hoping that it would be. Jimmy Olsen must die. He didn't even die. Nice. You know, yeah. Piper, Trickster, who cares? They were just like this running thing throughout the whole thing. I, yeah. I, I just was really super disappointed. Now, DC's going to try again with another year-long title called Trinity mm. coming out weekly. I am going to buy it. I will say that, you know, as a DC fanboy, I'm going to buy it. I don't buy everything, DC, but I'll, I'll get trinity simply because it's covering the big three superman wonder woman and batman i don't know if these are going to play into any overall storylines and other titles i believe they said they wouldn't that they'd be self-contained stories which i think is the way to go but the other big event that's going on over at dc is final crisis which is what this whole countdown thing has been counting down to uh the good thing is final crisis itself is only eight issues long Mm. so that's good but they're also going to have all these spin-off titles that come out of that that I mentioned on last week's show that'll get you to buy probably 52 additional <laughs> issues throughout the year, which I don't mind as long as they're self-contained stories. And I, when I look back at the entire Countdown series, I can only give it a two out of five stars. Yeah, there mm. were some very good moments in the story. There were also a lot of really bad moments in the story. And I think mixing up the artists uh, from week to week kind of threw some things off because this uh i think the one that i'm really thinking about is when uh the end of the death of the new god series which actually didn't occur in the death of the new god series happened uh the art in that was horrendous other times the art has been spectacular and just two stars i'm not recommending that anyone goes out and tries to get the collected issues if if they if they come out um unless you have a year supply of probably excedrin on hand (laughs) Matthew, any thoughts on on Countdown or or Rodrigo? 52 felt very planned, and 52 felt very directed towards getting the main characters, the six main characters, or however many there were, to specific points. And some of them took longer to get there than others. Countdown felt like it was flying by the seat of your pants. You had weeks where they'd be like, oh, here's Piper on a train. Oh, we've covered him. Let's, you know. The, the real-time concept of 52 is, to me, what really put it together. Yes, to I would agree. You wouldn't have the silly cliffhanger. You'd have to actually come back, and sometimes it'd be a month or two in the characters' lives, and you'd have a moment to catch up. Countdown had some of the horriest, oh, that's H-O-A-R-Y, horriest, uh, cuts, you know, cut scenes and transitions and old school cliffhangers in the real sense where you see the character go over the cliff and then, oh no, he miraculously rolled out, but you didn't see it last week. Right. Hmm. It, you know, it felt like they didn't know where they were going. They just knew we want to do another weekly book and we have to make it 52 issues. So the story's in motion. We've already gotten to this point, but now we have to wait 16 issues before we get to point B. So vamp a little. 
I, I, felt that there was, I thought there was a lot of vamping in there, and then there, it seemed like in the last mm, dozen episodes or dozen issues or so that they seemed to try to rush and cram everything together, and ultimately, I think it's I think it was a big failure. Now, that being said, Paul Dini is one of my or Dini is one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite uh, people that are, that ever worked on Batman and some of these other things. So to see this thing fall apart in his hands it, is a real shame. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Did story you read any of those, failed Rodrigo? so much as the the structure. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. I don't. I don't know. Um, maybe if I sat down and read them all straight through, I would appreciate it more. But you know, I was really thinking if you're talking about the spine of the DC universe, let's see these events play off in other issues. And they yeah. did, but they were all other series, other miniseries issues. Not the stuff that, not Superman, not Action Comics, not Teen Titans, not Catwoman, not Batman, not Supergirl, not Robin, not Detective Comics. You know, all these other ones that were pulling, there weren't really any things that said, okay, let's spend an issue over here doing mm-hmm. this. No, we had to go and buy uh, Countdown Arena, which should, I think, have been crammed into Countdown. the Countdown series. Yeah. Now, for me, this, this whole started right before 52, it was... Infinite Crisis, right? right? Which was a good series. Um, you know, for me, uh, a friend of mine was was getting into that, and he's like, "Oh, you got to pick up Infinite Crisis." And I'm like, "Okay, well, what's the gist of it?" And they're like, "Well, they're kind of uh, undoing Crisis of Inf- uh, in Infinite Earths." And I'm like, "Stop! I'm out. Mm. I don't. You know, I like that they took the DC universe and they crammed it back together and they simplified it and chopped things apart and took stuff off and sort of unraveling that. I basically have not been reading any DC since then, and that was what like three years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame. So I, you know, I, I'm I've I've caught nuggets of really good stories like Booster and Beetle and right. all that stuff that's going on. Uh, Sinestro Core. Yeah, really great. Um, and then I'm like, well, what's going to happen at the end of it? Is that all going to be undone? Mm-hmm. Um, are they going to go back and they're going to change stuff like that? So I am like willingly not getting invested in these characters because they're rushing them. Uh, things are falling apart. Things are changing from issue to issue. I don't want to get invested in it. So unfortunately, Countdown was just a, a status return to status quo series, which I'm really disappointed in. So. Two stars out of that. Uh, question of the week, Matthew. Yes, sir. Uh, it actually came to me the other week when I was just sitting and doodling at my desk, and I realized that I always draw characters. First thing I draw is just kind of the spine, and then I always stick on a cape. And the the question arose, do you prefer your superheroes with the cape? Or as Edna Mode would have it, no capes. <laughs> I have to go with capes. I just think that Batman running around without a cape would look rather silly. Now, you could go the Incredibles route and say that, you know, the cape is is the worst part of a costume because it's always getting tangled up. But Batman would not be Batman without that cape. So because I'm a big Batman fan, I have to go with cape. I'm I'm just totally going to cop out of this one. I think there are superheroes that need capes and superheroes that need to have no cape. If you take... Batman or Superman's cape away, they look less impressive. If you put a cape on Spider-Man, he'll probably trip over it and hit himself (laughs) in the face. Um, I I think, you know, if you look at a superhero, a superhero with a cape automatically tells you something about that guy. Superman has a cape, Captain Marvel has a cape, Batman has a cape. They're kind of big, majestic guys. Right. Um, Majestic, I think, has a cape. Um, (laughs) They're, uh, you know, and they're like big and serious about what they do. You get a character without a cape, like Spider Man, he's a little bit bouncier. You know, Green Arrow doesn't have a cape specifically because the character is all about sort of reversing that status quo of superheroes. Um, I think there are superheroes that, you know, 
great idea to not have Nightwing have a cape. Right. You know, all that stuff. I, I'm just totally going to, like, bow out of this one. You guys fight it out. I think there's characters that need capes, characters that don't. Matthew? I'm old, so um, I, I believe that a man in a cape, to me, says superhero or possibly George Hamilton. But <laughs> to me, to me the, the classic, when you think superhero, you think, you know, you, you're thinking boots, underwear on the outside, and a cape. And if you go to, you know, Tom J. Schmuckensy in the street and say, hey, you show him an outline of two characters and one has a cape, which one's the superhero? They're going to point to the cape. Not every mm. superhero needs one, but you got to have them where you need them. Even the Legion of Superheroes, which is all about sleek, futuristic costumes, has Mon-El and Kal-El and... You Andromeda know, with her hangy things down. Whatever. The, uh, the loincloth counts as sort of a short cape, I think. Yeah, Dawnstar. She's got wings. That counts as a cape, right? That's right. And the, the White Witch wears that weird coat thing, which might as well be a cape. All right. So two for a cape and one uh, just doesn't care. Abstain. <laughs> The webcomic You'll Have That made its debut on the Viper Comics website in 2004 and is created by Wes Molbash, who lives in Ohio. It's uh, currently updated three days a week, and Wes uh, lives with his wife, Trisha, and their two cats. And I hear that you love milkshakes. Please welcome to the program, Wes Molbash. Hello. Thank you. Wes, a lot of people uh, probably go and read the uh, big web comics you know pvp control alt delete and and penny arcade and they may not know what you'll have that is all about tell us a little bit about the the web comic um basically it's just a cute little comic strip i created about um a young married couple they're in their mid to er early to mid 20s i don't have kids yet it's just kind of like that early early stage of marriage you're still figuring things out they've got some uh, it's a slice of life strip. They've got a couple friends that they hang around with. Uh, you know, there's some jokes that happen at work, and you know the kind of stuff you see in the newspaper. But I kind of hope it's a little funnier than what you read in the newspaper. <laughs> I guess that's uh, subjective, but uh, basically that's the comic in a nut nutshell. It's about just twenty something marriage. Yeah, and this is uh, something that, again, you've been doing for over four years now, and so you've got quite an archive there. And I, I just love it. I've been a big fan since I've been reading it probably the last, oh, three or about three and a half years is when I stumbled across it. And it really is kind of a look at what a newly married couple uh, might be like. Is this some autobi autobiographical content <coughs> in there? To an extent. I'm sorry. No, nope, that's okay. Um, no, uh, to an extent. Go ahead. You is, can go ahead and I'm get that. My wife gets that. <laughs> to an extent, it's uh, autobiographical. Um, I, I don't like to call it an autobiographical comic just because I, I take a lot of liberty with the characters and mm -hmm. exaggerate certain um, uh, personalities, that sort of thing. But at the same time, there, it, there are a lot of jokes that you know write themselves. and, and uh, So, yeah, it's very much inspired by the interaction I have with my wife and my friends, but I stop short of calling it autobiographical. Okay. Well, there's certainly a, a, a lot of it plays into, I think, in the early, um, in the early, I guess, issues or episodes of the, of the comic that it's mostly um, Steve and Andy, or I'm sorry, not Steve, uh, <laughs> Trish, or uh, Andy and... Katie? Yes, Katie. Uh, I always forget her name. And it's a lot of interactions between them, but... 
Uh, lately, you've had a, a slew of other characters. Obviously, you've got uh, Andy's fellow co-workers that he has at the factory, and then mm-hmm. you've got his best friend uh, Steve and, and Emmeline, or Emmeline, or how do you say her name? Emmeline, like okay. the Ben Folds song. I don't okay. know if you've ever heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Emmeline. And they've had some relationships, and it's kind of broken apart, and uh, over, I thought, a very interesting incident, and I'm looking to see how that <laughs> plays out. Um are you looking with that storyline in particular? Are you looking at trying to uh, look at how marriages get together as opposed to a marriage that's already together at the start of this? Um, or is it just you know just happens to pop into your head and hey, that's a funny story? Uh, a little bit of both, actually. Um, there, when I first started writing, you'll have that it, the characters weren't married yet, mm-hmm. and. Um, and the writing was really bad. This is before I even submitted to Viper. And the writing was horrible, but I was trying to make it more of a Bachelor-type comic strip, and mm-hmm. um, it just wasn't clicking. And But when I started writing it about a young married couple, it was, it was you know, a lot better in my opinion. But now that I'm four years, almost four years into it, I realize I have, I'm four years into my marriage as well, so I'm able to look back on my bachelorhood days and kind of laugh about some of the stupid junk I did. And uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I think this is – I'm kind of excited about, you know, the con- the storyline that I'm, I'm writing right now has been a little bit controversial. I mean, it's not like anything crazy, but some well, people I mean, have been – there's been mixed reviews on, on the characters and, and the storyline itself and – well, but maybe we should talk. Maybe we should talk about that. So, Steve sure. and Emmeline have been dating for quite some time, and then uh, one of Andy's, I guess, jerk coworkers—I'll call him—I don't yes. care for him that much—invites <laughs> them over to celebrate uh, Andy's uh, success uh, at uh, at something, and they go in, and everybody that's there is watching a girls gone wild video, and who does Steve see but Emmeline flashing the camera, and they decide to. Uh, to, to break up, and then, and I guess that's where the controversy's at, and, and now we've kind of flashed forward a couple of months to uh, Katie and Emmeline having conversations about whose fault this was, and, and really kind of where the situation goes, and, and so what's, what's the controversy? Uh, there's sort of mixed reviews. People are angry at Steve that he would break up with Emmeline over the situation, and uh, people, uh, some people are actually supportive of Steve, and some people have actually criticized me for um, punishing my characters, I think is what one person told me, that I punish my characters who don't have the same morals that I do, which if I do that, it's, never, it's not intentional at all. And I really hope that people who have read this, I, personally, in my opinion, I think this is one of the best storylines I've ever written, and I think the fact that people have been so vocal about it you know positive or negative is proof to me that i've hit a chord with some people <laughs> and um i i really hope people will stick in for long haul because you know this little story arc isn't over um there's a lot of stuff i want to do with both emmeline and steve they're not you know i'm not trying to get rid of any characters i'm, I'm trying to de- i'm really trying to do some c- character development i realized that emmeline had been kind of a dead character there really wasn't any substance to her and so this was my way of kind of kicking her up a notch and well i think that's, that's a real I, I think it's a real compliment to your writing then if you have all these people coming out of the woodwork so polarized on opposite ends of of the story i mean at first i was a little shocked myself of what steve did but then i'm like okay i can see his point of view i probably wouldn't have handled it that way but i want them to 
work through this or I want something to happen. So it is something that's really cool. But, you know, that's that's got to make you feel good when you're getting both positive and negative complaints about something that you've written. It does. I, I, the, the positive comments make you feel even better. But the, but knowing that people care enough about your comics that or about the characters that they would be mad at you for, you know, breaking up a relationship or upset because they had a preconceived idea of a person's personality or a character's personality and then it changes and it's kind of weird because you hear it all the time from creators but you make these characters and they kind of become real to you yeah and and it's kind of neat when you hear from other readers that the characters are kind of real to them too it's kind of special that people look at it that way yeah and and i think this really is kind of a, a special comic where did you i mean you've got a distinct art style you've got a really good writing style did you go to college for art and design or w- what's your background on how you'll have that came about no i mean i've I took art classes all through high school. I've always loved it. I've always loved comics and cartoons. And um, and in college, I took one drawing class. But, I mean, never anything that I've pursued heavily outside of, you know, my own studio. I mean, this mm-hmm. is... I learned basically by doing... Um, my wife doesn't understand why I still buy how to draw cartoon books. <laughs> and uh, and I, I don't think I'll ever be able to explain it to her why the importance of them. But... Um, I learned to draw comic strips in fourth grade. My mom bought me a uh, video cassette, Bruce Blitz, mm-hmm. how to draw Blitz cartoons or comic strips or something, and and it was a an hour long cassette and it showed how to draw a comic strip. And I used the exact same uh, steps that he taught in that video. I still use to this day. I've refined a few things, but for the most part, I do exactly what I was taught when I was ten years old <clears throat> using that videotape. So. That's the extent of my education, and the rest have just been, you know, if you draw a comic strip every day or semi-daily for close to four years, you know, you're going to improve a little bit, I hope. <laughs> well, I, so. obviously, it, it says something for someone who's gone from being self-taught as a fourth grader, or, you know, as a young person, all the way up to now with Viper Comics, and you're even doing things beyond you'll have that. You've done some other things with, with their titles, and I think I've seen your name floating around in some other places, too. Yeah, the uh, are you, the, the Sasquatch yeah. um, anthology came out uh, last year, and uh, they asked me to write a short. I think my my story was about fifteen pages long. I wrote a story about a young boy and his Sasquatch, and right now I'm working on an anthology. Well, I've been asked to work on an anthology, um, and I'm I'm been drawing the pages for it. It's not a comic per se it's more just spot illustrations but it's mm-hmm. a really neat story um it's a it's like i said it's part of a large anthology a themed anthology i don't know how much info i can give right now because it doesn't have a publisher yet but um and i don't know how uh, the guy that guy i'm working with i don't know how secretive he is he probably doesn't care but i'm just not going to risk it so okay. anyway it's a cool little story that i'm illustrating and it's got a lot of heart and i'm really excited i hope really hope it gets a publisher because uh if the rest of the stories in the book are are indicative of what this guy, what I'm illustrating. I think it'll be a really cool book. Well, you're currently uh, you're not exclusive then with Viper Comics. You're you're just kind of freelance. How does the relationship with with uh, you'll have that in Viper Comics? How does that work? As far as like yeah, where the, I can go with it, or yeah, yeah. Um, I you know I really don't know. It's kind of funny because the more I work with them, the more I see how sort of um, I don't want to say lax, but. They they seem to be pretty 
cool about uh, where I published the cartoon and that sort of thing. Like right now, the comics also published on Modern Tales, and I thought that might be a big issue, but they were really cool with it. Um, and well, it's Jesse Garza who runs Viper, and I've talked yeah. with him a few times, and he seems like a very cool guy. He that- is. He's real supportive of the creators. So. And then so maybe let me make a quick transition. One of the other places that we've seen you recently was in, uh, was it March? March's contest over at Zuda Comics, which is the uh, DC Comics um, attempt to to get into web comics. Can you talk a little bit about that process? I mean, a lot of people are, are very cautious about what companies like DC and Platinum Studios and some of these others have done when they say, come to us, enter our contest, and as a winner, you might uh, you might get some publishing deals or things like that. And there have been some comments and concerns over creative, creators' rights and these kinds of things. Can you talk about why you got into the Zuda Comics contest and your experience with, with that? I did it just to see what would happen, really. Okay. <laughs> it was... Uh, I tell you what, um, I know there was a lot of controversy and 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 the whole like Platinum Studios and Zuda they kind of leave a bad taste in a lot of cartoonist mouths and yeah and it was the same with me for a while I won't lie there was like a long time where I I, I was kind of like I wasn't going to mess with it but the more I thought about it the more I thought I have a lot of ideas mm-hmm. uh, I just you'll have that. And some ideas I think are good, and some I think are bad, and some I'm more passionate about than others. And I thought, well, I've got this one idea that I think is pretty cool, but I'm not married to it. So if something happens where Zuda takes it and does something with it I don't like, um, at least it'll get my name out there, and, and, I, and it won't be too bad of a heartbreak if, if they take this property or whatever mm-hmm. and I, I got criticized for having that attitude but that's my attitude about it i mean um i mean certainly i'm not that way with you'll have that you know yht sort of my baby it's a very personal cartoon and I'm, I'm a little more protective of it but there are some ideas i have where i you know josh howard too kind of helped me have that mentality a little bit more because mm-hmm. i was talking to him about that at 17 and uh and this must have been a couple years ago, maybe not that long ago, but um, it was a concerning. A, 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 what happened was someone had approached me about turning YHT into a sitcom. Oh, really? Yeah, and nothing ever happened from it. This is like two years ago, and looking back, I mean, it was my first experience ever being contacted by. Uh, someone in Hollywood about doing this and it was exciting but looking you know comparing my story with other people's who've had more success with it I think I had a, it was pretty much a dead end from the beginning but it was still exciting at the time and I was emailing Josh Howard with lots of questions because his uh, property debt 17's bounced around between several studios mm-hmm. and I believe it's now being made into a movie but at the time um, I asked him what his thoughts were on creative control and I said, you know, what, are you going to try to have a bunch of control of this movie when they make it to a movie? And he said he didn't care. I said, you don't care? He goes, no. He says, I make the comics. That's what I like to do. If someone wants to take a movie, they make it into a movie. They can do whatever they want with it. Well, he certainly doesn't thought, come from the Alan Moore uh, school of, of comics. Uh, yeah, writing. exactly. And it <laughs> kind of shocked me. But at the same time, it was kind of like, you know, not that people get criticized for having that attitude. And uh, I think Bill Watterson really helped. Uh, pioneer that attitude right. about having that creative control and, and, and being able to say 
you can turn my comic into this product, but not this product and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, sometimes, I don't know. I don't want to say we make too big a deal out of it, but sometimes I think we do, I guess. And I'm probably going to get emails about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the, the the cartoon that you did was about two kittens, two cats? Yeah. That, again, you have two cats. Is this also yes, a semi Yeah, they're based on my cats. That's, yeah, really original. <laughs> they're even named after my cats. And then, and then, how did the contest go? What was your experience with that? Were you checking in every day to see what your yeah. vote numbers were, and st- were you on the edge of your seat? Yeah, I still check in every day, just out of habit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a it was a fun experience, and it was really um, it was unique because the readers at Zuda are way different than the readers I've farmed at, at YHT. Mm-hmm. And I was joking around with my wife that. Um, on, when, when I get if I get fan mail from a from a you'll have that reader that's negative if I get a letter that some someone wants to criticize me about something it's always extremely polite even the even the bad letters are hmm. I've shared some of my my negative letters that have bummed me out early on and people are like this is still a really nice letter you know yeah, and, yeah. and uh, but I, I'm very fortunate that the people and maybe that's just sort of the image I have on the site the comics kind of not it doesn't really push the envelope and, and I try to be very nice and, and open with everybody on my website. So maybe that's why they're able to if they have something that they see is a problem, they come to me a little bit, you know, they try to be real polite. Mm-hmm. But on Zuda it was the exact opposite. I was not ready for it. And, you know, people are very, very critical and I think in some cases people um are overly critical just because it's the internet and they can be there's the anonymity and you know they may not like the comic but because they're on the internet they're going to just hate it even more yeah we call those the forum trolls over at major yeah and and, uh man i had never experienced anything like it before and uh man it just blew me away and there were days where i'd be really feeling good about the contest and then there'd be other days where i'd just be like i wish it was over this is killing me you know and uh but, you know, that was a good experience for me just mentally that I, you know, because, like I said, I've never had to deal with readers like that, but they're out there and I've got to get used to it. So, Well, it helped you build it, toughen, toughen up your skin for future projects. Absolutely. Yeah, the ha- next time. So, Has there been anybody approach you since the, the Zuda contest and, and said, hey, we kind of like what you did. Would you consider coming to do, do stuff with us or what's kind of been the feedback post the contest? Well, not much feedback post the contest. Mm. Um, uh, I know that uh, David Gallagher, uh, uh, who draws, uh, or I can't remember if he draws or writes the uh, High Moon comic at Zuda. Mm-hmm. He liked the strip, and and uh, right now they're, if you go to Zuda Comics, they're really promoting this Zuda Invitational in July, right? And basically, they're um, they want the readers to write in and vote for their favorite comics that did not win. Ah. And they'll pick the top ten, and those guys will go at it again and put in eight more screens. And David Gallagher asked me if I would, if I got voted in, if I would participate. And I told him I probably would, but I guess I'd have to see when the time comes where I want to be. But no, I haven't been approached by anybody who wants to publish Litterbox Chronicles or wants me to do any other work because of Zuda. So... Well, maybe we can help you out. Everybody head over to Zuda Comics and vote for Wes Mulbage's uh, uh, Litterbox Chronicles, 
and let's give him a second chance to win. Because you came in what second, third place in in the contest? I came in. I came in second. Yeah, to, uh, yeah. And uh, it was just the battle of networking when it came down to it. And and that's another thing that ticked a lot of people off was <laughs> that uh, you know the guy who won, I believe there's like four of them and they were going on some like cross country tour hmm. and uh, you know, they were able to get a whole bunch of people to vote for them. And, and I think that was awesome. And they had a very active MySpace uh, network. And, you know, obviously I had an installed fan base already with my comic strip. You'll have that. So I was sending my readers over and I think it really rubbed some of the uh, Zuda um, regulars, the, the guys that have been there since the beginning, it kind of rubbed them the wrong way. Hmm. And, uh, in a way, I can understand that, but at the same time, you know, as much as I hate to admit it, it is kind of a popularity contest. It's about who gets the most vo- votes. So. Right. I mean, yeah. So that's what it that's what it boils down to. So, yeah. uh, if we focus on, you'll have that. How you know? And this kind of goes back to a question that I ask almost every web comics person that I bring on. How are you making money from web comics? Well, right now I'm not making a whole lot of money. I tell you what, though, every year. Um, I I make more money at it, so that's kind of like making me feel good. Like last year, my wife and I were surprised because I would have made a profit last year if I didn't buy a computer, <laughs> <laughs> but I screwed myself by buying a computer. But anyway, um, this year deductible. I'm trying. What's that? It's all tax deductible. It is all tax deductible, and that was the good news. But um, I'm trying to. Uh, there's there's a lot of things that I can do still that I haven't tapped into. And one of the very basic things is um, starting my own website. And that's something I'm really trying to play around with right now is is possibly moving my comic off the Viper site. Not, I don't want to like split ties with Viper mm-hmm. per se, but um, if I could move my comic off the Viper site and put my own ads up and everything and then make hopefully make some revenue off of that. I've also been um, selling stuff on eBay and uh, doing commission work. And that's where the bulk of w- the money I make comes from eBay auctions and commissions. Well, in fact, for a while in- you were selling some of the original strips, though. For my yeah. anniversary, one of my favorite strips was the one where uh, uh, they're talking about uh, getting their uh, Katie getting her legs cut up in the middle of the night because uh, Andy toenails, doesn't cut yeah. his toenails. And I was like, oh, my wife and I go through that same thing. And so I, I bought that as, as an anniversary gift, and it's hanging out in the hallway oh, uh, right now. She framed it really nice with the original strip plus the uh, the gray tone one that, that uh, you included. And I think it's a really good deal if people find a strip that they like. Yeah. Uh, to maybe consider See, that, I just don't. I, I don't promote it enough, and I don't. Uh, that's another thing is I'd like to have a, a store like my own store where I can advertise. Hey, you can buy the original artwork, and mm-hmm. uh, I had I had prints. I have you know people can buy prints for like fifteen dollars, and those for a while were selling like hotcakes. But then you know people forget about them, or the blog post isn't on the front page anymore, and you're talking about other stuff. So. That's just some things I really need to do. I really need to. In fact, right now, as we're talking, I have Photoshop up with a template. I'm playing around with website templates and stuff. And cool. I'm trying to teach myself all this junk. And I got a buddy helping me out, and it's just blowing my mind and stressing me out. But it's something I need to do and have all that functionality. And I think then I'd be able to grow my audience more than it is now. And at the same time, hopefully make a little bit of money at it. So Well, you've also got the anthologies that collect, oh, I don't know how many strips there are, what, about 100 pages each. 
have those been selling well? Do you have a third anthology coming out? Uh, Don't have a third anthology on the on the uh, on the slate right now. Um, the first two anthologies haven't sold very well, and uh, but that's something else I'm hoping to um, take care of. And I'm going to start selling the books myself mm-hmm. rather than through the Viper store. And we'll see if that's going to if that helps sales at all. And I'm going to sell them at a discounted price, and they'll of course be signed. And uh, and I, and all the books will come from me. Um, you can still order them through the Viper store, um, but if you want a book that's signed, you can order it straight from me. And uh, that's something I'm going to start uh, next week. Actually, I'm going to blog about that. In fact, by the time this airs, it'll probably be next week. So okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, this will work work out well. But yeah, I'm going to start. Uh, in fact, I had a, a reader uh, like last week. He got the first shipment of books. He was my guinea pig. And uh, I told him, I said, you got to email me and let me know these arrived okay. And, of course, and, and they did. He emailed me. So I'm excited about that. So I'm going to start that next week. And certainly, I, and again, I'll put a little plug in here for you, too, because I've got both of them. And the only reason I bought them is, number one, I know a lot of webcomic people don't make a lot of money from the work that they're doing online. And they really some of them only make the bulk of their money from these collected anthologies. And so I want to do it to support uh, works that I like. And plus, if someone doesn't have time to go back through almost four years' worth of archives, click, 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 clicking, this is a perfect way to sit down on an afternoon and, and get caught up and, and enjoy some good art and some very yeah. funny stories. And, you know, I'll tell you, too, um, I'm not really concerned about making a whole lot of money off the books right now. I mean, to me, it seems like the, a book is is almost a better business card. And mm-hmm. say you have, you know, if you have the book and you, you, you help out a cartoonist uh, exponentially by having the book and say your friend comes over and they see it laying on your coffee table or something and they flip through it and maybe maybe they become a reader too or whatever. So just little things like that help out uh, cartoonists more than you might think. So have you so, been yeah, going? buy the books. It helps in more ways than one. Yeah. Have you been going to any conventions? Have you done any appearances anywhere that, that people might be aware of or anything um, upcoming? I, because of my job, I'm not able to go to very many conventions on a regular basis. I went to San Diego last year, mm-hmm. which was awesome. Had a great, great time. I also went to the mid Ohio con and uh, had a good time there. This year, I am not sure if I'm going to make it to a convention or not. Um, uh, I thought about going to San Diego. I'm not sure if I if I have the funds to go to San Diego this short notice. Um, thought about going to Baltimore. I've got the paperwork right here on my desk, and it's staring at me. And uh, that's still kind of I'm going back and forth in, in my mind about that. I'm I'm in the process of losing my job. Uh oh. And yeah, so it's kind of. You know, every time I sit there and go, man, I really need, I'd really like to go to a convention. At the same time, I'm like, I really need to pay my bills as well. So yeah, that's perfectly kind understandable. Kind of stockpiling. Well, how does then your day work? I mean, do you work a nine to five job at, at the factory, and then you come home and work, you know, seven until midnight on the comic? Or what's your average day like right now? Uh, I don't really have an average day. It kind of stinks. I, I work shift work, which mm. sucks, and uh, but. You get, you know, you get kind of acclimated to it in a way, but you just, you know, you work when you, my wife has a nine to five job. And so if I'm working seven to three, I, you know, I'll play around in my studio and till she comes home from work and then we'll have dinner. And then I come back down to the studio and, and, uh, you know, you squeeze it in. It's not a, you know, when you like it, when you enjoy it, it's really not that big of a deal. It actually becomes almost 
you can't get me to come out of the office. I'd spend all day down here if I could and do. On my days off, I'm pretty much down here all day. I understand that. So, I'm the same way. Um, what One other thing that you kind of collaborate on, and I've noticed it pop up on multiple uh, webcomic sites that, that I read on a daily basis, is this Boxcar Comics. What is Boxcar Comics? Um, it's a collective like Dumbrella or Blank Label. I don't think we're not you know incorporated the way uh, Dumbrella and Blank Label are. Um, but it's basically just a group of cartoonists who enjoy each other's work, and we're just trying to help promote each other. We're we're trying to sort of revamp the collective. Um, there are several. They were there were several cartoons that weren't updating, and. Um, we kind of trimmed down the roster a little bit, and mm-hmm. now we're trying to get uh, we're trying to get a presence at conventions. We're sitting here talking about conventions, and but Boxcar as a whole is trying to make a, a more of a presence at uh, comic book conventions next year. And uh, we've been doing things like Jam Comics, and they're starting up a podcast and stuff that's kind of uh, already been done. But we're hoping that uh, you know we'll add a little bit of a flair to. Uh, what's already been done, and hopefully uh, increase our presence. Now, is everyone at Boxcar, do they all live in Ohio, or is everyone spread yeah. out? I mean, we've got Theater Hopper, uh, Matriculated, Joe Loves Crappy Movies, After Strife, Joe and Monkey, which uh, one of my favorite comics. You'll have that Beaver and Steve and, and Robin Elliot, which Beaver and Steve, they're in, in the U.K., so... Yeah, they're in, in England, as well as an After Strife. Uh, Ali Graham lives in the U.K. Um, I can't remember where Joe Dunn lives. He draws uh, and writes Joe Loves Crappy Movies, and he draws Matriculated. I think he lives in New York. Um, Phil Chan writes Matriculated, and he's brand new to the group. I don't know where... I don't, I'm not sure where he's from. Hmm. Um, I believe Tom Brazelton, who draws uh, Theater Hopper, is in Iowa. So, right. no, we're not. We're spread all over the place. Well, that's Zach an interesting in concept. Well, so, that's we're a, all over. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. Anything else uh, before we go... Wes, that you want to talk about with you'll have that anything upcoming that we should look forward to or or anything that you want to talk about uh, with web comics um just check out my website it's um the easy way to get to it is yhtcomic.com and uh like you know as we established in earlier it, it updates uh, monday wednesday and friday and uh i don't mean to toot my horn but i think it's getting better all the time i hope it is and uh if you, if you like what you're reading, uh, leave some comments in the blog or hang out in the forum. we got a pretty laid-back group of guys that, and girls that like to hang out in the forums, and you know there's really not a lot of uh, uh, flame wars or anything like that. We, we get along pretty well. So with, well, That kind of brings up an interesting thing with this webcomic and the nature of the relationship uh, between Katie and Andy. Is this more men reading this comic, more women reading this comic? I think it's a neat mixture. I'm actually kind of surprised that um, th- who my readers are sometimes. Like, sometimes I get emails from people who are like 16, and I'm like, how do you relate to young marriage? But I guess sometimes it's, you know, if, if, it, if people enjoy it, they enjoy it. They don't necessarily have to be going through that stage in life to, to, to enjoy it or relate to a character in a certain way. But I think I, get a, I have a nice mixture of, of Males and females. I've got a lot of guys who email me and say that my comic is the only comic their wife likes or their girlfriend likes, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty cool. And um, I've gotten plenty of emails from young ladies who told me they enjoy the cartoon. And 
see a lot of their uh, their relationships kind of reflected in in the cartoons. That's always a good feeling. Well, to to kind of give you a boost, my wife is kind of a a web comic snob. She doesn't read that many, but she does make it a point every day to stop by PVP, and you'll have that. Oh, great! That's I'm in good company then. That website. <laughs> that website. One more time, Wes. It's a yhtcomic. All right, and you can find that three days a week. Wes Mulbash, thank you so much for being on the Major Spoilers podcast, and we're wishing you good luck in the future. Can I say one thing to you? Sure, go ahead. I just want to say I'm really glad that Major Spoilers is back. Well, we are too. I was really bummed when you stopped uh, um, updating, and I'm sort of a comic news snob, much (laughs) like your wife, and there's only a handful of comic news sites, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your butt. I check your site every day. Well, thank you so much, man. No problem. All right. Thank you, Wes. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Wes, for uh, piping in with your thoughts this week. We enjoy having people that, to come on our show and talk about what they're doing, and we'll have more of those as we move along. Our trade paperback review this week is Noble Causes in Sickness and Health. And uh, from the Amazon description, it says, Every girl thinks her boyfriend is a catch, but Georgetown bookseller Liz Donnelly got bragging rights. She's dating Race Noble, the famous superhero with the quick smile and quicker legs. Ladies, <laughs> Follow Race and Liz's worldwide whirlwind romance from the moment they meet to their wedding and their tragic honeymoon. Suddenly, Liz is a stranger in a strange land, an everyday person living with a family of celebrity superheroes, Behind the glamour and wonder lie dark secrets, ruthless ambition, and twisted desires. This is Noble Causes. Who wants to start? Rodrigo. Well, I liked it. I, I think it's a it's a good book. Um and it is uh kind it, it is pretty much a superhero soap opera. You know, we, we talked about um how the escapist was a romantic comedy mm-hmm. um with superheroes kind of inserted into it. Um Noble Causes is kind of a superhero soap opera. Um, I, I, my thought on it is none of these characters, uh, because you know the superhero market is so cluttered with everyone. Right. None of these characters could really stand alone as any sort of impressive or uh, novel superhero, mm-hmm. if not for the soap opera aspect. You know, for the for the story aspect of right. it. Um, but I think that was part of the deal. I think they were meant to sort of be iconic. You got a really fast guy. You got a strong guy. You got a smart guy. You got a robot. You got you a got robot. A, yeah. You got a con- you chick you got that a controls demon, stuff. You got, yeah, you yeah. got a weather wizard. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of supposed to be, you know, they just drop you in the middle of it. And, you know, it's cool. And, and I, I guess I was just kind of hoping that I would see something novel on the superhero aspect of it and there kind of wasn't that but as a as a story about people it is really good yeah and that's what i like about it too because yeah like you said i think and and some people have commented that they like the fact that we've reviewed some titles like the escapists and uh and the the tribal warfare dinosaur Mm -hmm. one because it gets away from that superhero genre that we're stuck in and even last week mark sable wrote in about uh, about hazed and mm-hmm. is glad that we're we're covering some of these non superhero titles um I feel the same way about it. Here, I I didn't really get caught up in the fact that you've got you know a Doc Savage as a father, you've got uh, mm-hmm. a robot man as as a as a son, or well, actually two sons. That you've got you know all these. It, it's all about who's sleeping with who, who's yeah. getting busy with who, who killed you know who killed the race. Right. You know that that's the whole mystery to me. And and this is only I think four or five issues in the first series. And, four. Yeah, and I I thought it was. I thought this was a good title. I mean, it just seems to tell a really good, really good story. Uh, Matthew, uh, I agree 
one of the things that I really enjoy about it, and Rodrigo really, really hit it on the head, is this is not, hey, airplane. I was going to yeah. say you're mighty, <laughs> mighty close there. Are Matthew, you, are you landing in. now, Matthew? <laughs> I'm, I'm, it may be the scrolls. Brian has found me. <laughs> I'm actually broadcasting from my underground lair, thousands of miles beneath the Earth's crust. And you have a, a uh, landing strip there, apparently. Exactly. Well, anyway, you know, go on with what you were saying. Rodrigo really touched on the thing that I like about it is it's not the most novel superhero story ever, but it takes elements of different genres of storytelling and it puts it in a superhero context and as comic books go it's very unique you don't see this type of storytelling in the comic world it's not necessarily about you know the big punch out with dr infinity it's about the interrelationships between the characters and what i really like is the naming conceit that they have that echoes that soap opera theme where you have you know the ridge thorn patch john mm -hmm. black school of naming characters yeah yeah where you have Race with his super speed and Rusty, who may or may not be a robot, and you know. Well, and, he, and even the fact that uh, I think Jay, Jay Farber, I think is how you pronounce his name. Forgive me if I misspell it, but you know the fact that he calls the family the Noble Family, and they're seen as this elitist, almost royalty-like mm -hmm. family in this fictional land. I mean, it's it's quite apropos. Yeah, and later on in the series, they introduce the evil family. They're called the Blackthorns, which is just so wonderfully old school. And it it's it is this kind of storytelling that I would used to be forced to watch in the afternoons in Master Control and you know at KBSH Television. You watch you know the Days of Our Lives or the As the Stomach Turns or the you know <laughs> what whatever the show is. You watch that and you see how much that storytelling has in common with the comic book archetypes and the comic book cliches we've seen, the, the evil twin, uh, yeah. the nobody dies forever, you come back. You may look different, you may be a head taller, but everybody knows it's you. The cliffhanger you know, at the end of the episode slash issue. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, two issues later, you come back and you're like, oh, it turns out that never happened. Yeah. yeah. I just, I just I, like the fact that, you know, here is this group, this family that's achieved celebrity status mm -hmm. mixed in with the, you know, I think everybody's pointed it out, the Knott's Landing, the Dynasty, the Beverly Hills 90210, the, the Desperate Housewives all thrown in there. I think that's what makes this story click, and I don't really see it as a superhero story. I don't yeah. see it as a superhero book. It, it kind of isn't. Um, you know, the one of the great, great, great things about it is that I think two separate villains kind of get brought up, one of them you actually see, right. and like... Neither one of neither one of them is actually terribly involved in it. Like it looks like it's going to turn into a superhero book, and then it just totally devolves back into a, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, primetime drama, which is a good right. thing. The one thing that I you know, let's talk about some of the things we don't like. The one thing that I didn't like is how they broke the the issue up in for the trade. In the original run, you had the main story followed by a backup story, which kind of gave you some reference to what's going on. For example, the the affair that um, the, the father, the head of the family's wife had, mm -hmm. and how they got their stepsister, their second sister or son uh, from that. Uh, you know, that's told in that backup story. In the trade, all four of those backstories are told at the end of the four issue, of the big story. And I kind of felt that that was a little, I don't know, I was let down by that. I wish they would have kept it in the right order so I could have mm. those flashbacks. Although Brian, when I was talking with him today, said he actually liked that better because then you're just dropped into the story like you would a soap opera, and you have right. to watch this 
uh, throughout the entire piece. You know, you have to kind of figure out what's going on and put it together yourself. So he actually liked that. The second gripe that I have is the binding. Man, I got this book and was excited about it. I opened up the cover and the thing started to fall apart in my hands. I passed yeah. it off to Rodrigo. It's it's uh, messed up. Brian got it today and says, essentially, I'm just looking at a bunch of single pages not bound <laughs> anymore. So the binding on this book sucks. Yeah, that's rough. That you you can't do that, man. You can't print out a book. Um, uh, there's a game line that I really like called Exalted, and they had an Exalted comic book, and it just everybody was complaining that it just fell apart, and people stopped buying it. You know, mm-hmm. like that that will dry you up. You do not want to do that. Any anything and, that you don't like about the story, Rodrigo? I thought, uh, you know, it's kind of a symptomatic of the thing. I thought that it kind of moved too fast. I did. I wanted to get a little bit more feel for the family. Maybe even see them do some unrelated super, like unrelated to the story, super heroic type stuff. Um, but it was four issues. It's it's a story that gets told to you really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the pacing of it was good, but it just felt really short. It felt really fast. The art was good, Matthew. I, I would say part of that, and both of your your concerns come from. The way that the story is presented, because I didn't read the trade paperback. I drug out and actually read, you know, the first four issues from the store. And Mm. one of the things that, you know, you look at in terms of just the pacing of the book, the pacing of the issues is designed so that you get that and then you have the backup story. You have the meat of the story and a little bit of backup to keep you coming back. Mm -hmm. This being the first four-issue limited series, kind of that test pilot, they did fire everything but the kitchen sink at the wall. But I feel like they gave us enough in that four issues. They have enough story hooks to really and did sell the book for a good four or five years afterwards based on the story hooks that were established in that first four issues. Hmm. So I like that. My my complaint, as always, is in terms of the suitability of the art, I wasn't buying Zephyr as an innocent 16-year-old girl most of the time. And it may have been the way she was dressed or the way she was posed, but... I had my moments where I'm like, yeah, she's 21. <laughs> yeah. Bottom you know, line bottom line for me, I'm giving this four and a half out of five stars. I'll give it three. Matthew? I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to go 3.5. I thought it was very well done. It was well above average. wasn't perfect, but there was a lot going for it and a lot of good stuff in there. It's Noble Causes from Image Comics. That's our trade paperback review of the week. And we're out of time. Once again this week, uh, don't forget nerdtacular.com, Major Spoilers Hero Drive, last week to get people to download and listen to this show. Let's try to push this up as high as we can go, people. Go ahead and leave us some feedback over at the Major Spoilers forum or at majorspoilers.com. We appreciate that. Tell all your friends about the show. Uh, Be sure to visit the website. Give us some ratings over at iTunes or Podcast Alley. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much, uh, Rodrigo and Matthew, and of course, Wes Mulbash for stopping in and talking with us. If you have any questions, comics, topic ideas for future shows, feel free to drop us an email at podcast at majorspoilers.com because we know that you love comics and we do too and we'll see you next time stop talking about comic books or i'll kill you i don't care if the hulk could defeat the man of steel